Excelsior, Season 4, Episode 7. Excelsior, mid-1988 to December 31, 1989. Episode 7, The Universal Appeal of Great Writing. Welcome back. The last episode, Please Meet Zora Neale Hurston, The Woman and Her Work, was unusually long for us, and I wasn't quite sure if you would return. And yet, I do have, as it were, a coda to that episode, context, if you will, in considering Zora Neale Hurston's literature. Back in the day when I was an undergraduate at Ithaca College, located on the South Hill in Ithaca, New York, it was customary to have evening speakers whose purpose it was to expose us as students to a variety of experiences, to enhance our classroom instruction, to broaden us as human beings. Now, depending on the speaker and on the topic, would determine the venue for the program. For example, when Dick Gregory, the African-American comedian, social justice commentator, human rights activist, came to campus, he spoke in the college gymnasium, before a crowd of hundreds. However, when Isaac Bishevitz Singer, a Polish-born Jewish-American writer who wrote and published exclusively in Yiddish, now Yiddish is a Germanic language historically spoken by Ashkenazi Jews, a language reflecting a high German-based vernacular fused with many elements taken from Hebrew and to some extent Aramic, most varieties also have substantial influence from Slavic languages, and the vocabulary contains traces of influence from the Romance languages. So when he spoke, his audience may have numbered 100. Frankly, I do not recall how it was that I attended his talk. It may have been because a professor teaching my English Lit class had offered students extra credit, given if attended. What I do recall, however, was an exchange between him and a female student, an exchange which I have found valuable as a teacher of English composition, an exchange which, in its most basic terms, describes what is great writing. And here is my reenactment, complete with accompanying virtual dramatics. Rather bluffishly, my classmate asked, Mr. Singer? Why is it that you only write about the Jewish experience? To which he replied, Well, I only write about the Jewish experience because that is what I know. Then after a brief pause, he continued, and here I paraphrase, Any meaningful writing has to reflect the specific context. It cannot come from some broad or abstract concept. To be great writing, it must be meaningful to people across cultures and geography because the writing resonates with them as human beings. The writing reflects, speaks to a human condition. In 1978, Isaac Bishevitz Singer was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. His response to that young Ithaca College co-ed certainly applies to Zora Neale Hurston's writing, Think about it, dear listener. Her writing comes out of a very specific context. She called her work focusing on, quote, the Negro furthest down. 
She also said in a 1951 response to a Florida A&M graduate student who had written to her, quote, I think that you will discover that my viewpoint, I do not consider Negroes as special oddities among humanity. I see us as people, subject to the same desires and emotions as others. That is the way I see Negroes, and that is the way I write about them, unquote. The stories that Zora tells are timely and timeless. Look at her, their eyes were watching God, deemed by literary scholars as her classic. The protagonist, Janie Crawford, is an African-American woman, not book-learned, from the underclass of American society. Yet her journey of self-discovery, to know her true self, resonates broadly because, at some point in life, so many of us confront this personal issue of, who am I? Not as my parent's child, not as my spouse or partner, not as someone else's, you fill in the blank. At my core, who am I and what do I need to be fulfilled? Certainly in the three decades plus, we at PEC have found that Zora is a universally loved writer. Typically, Their Eyes Were Watching God will be the favorite book of high school students enrolled in advanced placement and or international baccalaureate classes. It is not unusual for women to speak about having reread their eyes at several stages of their lives and having gained a new and important perspective with each of their rereadings. And, not to leave the men out, let me recount an incident of some 20 years ago. It was the end of the day, and I was preparing to leave on time because, as I recollect, the weather looked to be stormy. Our building floor plan was a one level with the gallery space up front and in the rear, the administrative space. I had failed to lock the front entrance, so we were still accessible to the public. As I was making my way forward, a middle-aged white man literally breezed into the gallery space. He spoke, looking at me, but as if speaking to himself out loud. My presence didn't really seem to matter. He said, I was on I-4, and I saw the sign for Eatonville. I had read my nephew's copy of Their Eyes Were Watching God, and I just had to stop. He couldn't have been in our space more than a minute or two. I may have mumbled some pleasantry, and then he was gone just as quickly as he entered. Each time I recount this incident, I have the same thought. It was as if this man was having some kind of mystical experience. He saw the Eatonville sign. He was compelled to find his way into the town, into the building bearing her name. Having accomplished this, he could continue on his way. Now, dear listener, lest you think Zora's great writing is confined to her literary classic, I want to tell you about just one more incident. At the Zora Neale Hurston National Museum of Fine Arts, we call the facility the Hurston for short, we have had visitors from every continent where people live. Invariably, for out-of-town or out-of-country visitors, the scenario is the same. One family member who has a connection with Zora realizes just how close is Eatonville to where the family is staying and insists on coming to Eatonville. Family members give in and consent to taking this side trip, but 
they do want to move along as quickly as possible. The family member with the Zora connection, however, will attempt to extend the visit for as long as is reasonably possible. The incident in this example has a visitor who was a college professor from Italy. What truly surprised me was his comments about Zora's folklore collection, Mules and Men. Now, by its very nature, dear listener, this is a collection of folk tales written in Southern Black dialect that seemingly would be among the most challenging material to translate into another language. Not so fast in Wina theory. According to this scholar, his main problem would be to decide which of the several Italian dialects he wanted to use. So, what we have in this instance is the stories being told by black rural southern laborers on Joe Clark's lying porch, stories which reflect their individual and collective human condition, could be translated into an Italian dialect, and these stories would resonate with an Italian peasantry because the stories would reflect their individual and collective human condition. Need I say more about great writing? End of episode seven. You've been listening to An Eatonville Saga. Executive producer, the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, Inc. Podcast concept and storyteller, N.Y. Theory, Eatonville native and executive director of the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, Inc., P.E.C. Produced and directed by Ken Moore. 2020 copyright by the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, Inc. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening. If you would like to support our podcast by giving, you can give to PEC at www.give2pec.org. That's www.give, the number two, PEC.org.